Welcome to the Impactful Leadership Show. I'm your host, Greg McDonough. John Lennon once said, a dream you dream alone is only a dream. A dream you dream together is reality. Join me as we connect dreams to reality by chatting with innovators from around Washington, DC. Our show is proudly sponsored by the DC chapter of the Entrepreneurs Organization. This is the Impactful Leadership Show. Well, welcome to the Impactful Leadership Show. I'm your host, Greg McDonough, CEO of Blackburn Capital Advisors. Today's guest is a writer, video instructor, speaker, Forbes contributor, author of How to Be Alone and Together, the host of Failure Factor, Stories of Career Perseverance, therapist, executive coach. Please welcome Megan Bruno. Thanks for having me, Greg. I feel like you combine like all the bios I've ever had <laughs> into like one thing of like so many titles. <laughs> yeah, well, sometimes it just gets too long. But anyway, it's wonderful yeah. to have you on the show. Um, this show we focus on leadership, and my favorite question to ask my guests is, Megan, tell me about some misconceptions in leadership. Sure. Oh my gosh. I mean, there are so many. Um, but the first one that comes to mind is um, the idea of compassionate leadership or really like compassion in general, because uh, it also relates to how we um, relate to ourselves. Um, I'm gosh, Greg, I'm so sorry. I'm aware that there's like a siren coming by. Like this is like perfect timing. Like, okay. So we'll just, do you want me to just carry on through the sirens or should I break? Uh, the no, sirens? Keep going. Yeah. Yeah. Keep going through the sirens. Okay. Okay. <laughs> it adds color. <laughs> okay. Perfect. Yeah. So this is, um, we'll get into like regulating our nervous systems maybe later and like what we can do for that because, you know, you get a lot of practice with that in New York. Um, so, so yeah, so um, I, you know, as you mentioned, I'm a therapist and an executive coach. And uh, a lot of the work that I do with clients is helping them actually change their relationship to themselves and lead in a way um, that actually involves having this, yes, this idea of compassion, right? Which we hear a lot, you know, okay, we should be more compassionate leaders. But a lot of us have misconceptions about that, you know, whether we should be compassionate to others or compassionate to ourselves. And we think we a lot, a lot of oftentimes we think that means like we no longer have expectations or we're just like, you know, overly sympathetic or empathetic to the point at which like anything goes. And, you know, a lot of people think, well, how could this possibly inspire growth? You know, how could this um, motivate my employees to do better, you know, or to step out of their comfort zones? And same thing goes for ourselves, right? Like a lot of the work that I do with clients is helping them heal their relationship to themselves and learn that actually through being super self-critical, they're keeping themselves paralyzed and they're not like taking those risks that they need to take. And they're, you know, being fixated on their flaws or, you know, they're only, they're being kind of paralyzed by perfectionism. So, so what I want to really share with people is, is just some misconceptions about what compassion actually is. So for anyone who, um, you know, has ever practiced like yoga, which may not be a ton of people on this podcast, I'm not sure, especially if it's like, you know, male leaders and whatnot, like it's not traditionally the demographic. But often we talk about um, like the masculine and the feminine or the yin and the yang, right? And so when we think about compassion, oftentimes we think about only the yin, like that's what we, we, what comes to mind when we think about compassion. So we think of you know, as I said, sympathy, empathy, patience, tolerance, um, forgiveness, like warmth, all these really beautiful qualities that we should have with others. And we should definitely have with ourselves, our kids, you know, strangers. Um, but what we don't think about is that what we call the yang side. So the masculine side. And by the way, this is just like the traditional, it doesn't mean that like women are this way and men are that way. That's not where the masculine and feminine comes from. But um, the yang side is is having expectations, you know, um, holding people accountable, having boundaries, having respect for yourself or someone else. And um, 
you know, expectations for growth, um, things all along those lines, right? Um, Autonomy, a respect for autonomy and and individualism and whatnot. And so if you kind of think of it um, like in four quadrants, if you think of like having, you know, your your, um, y-axis and your x-axis, you can kind of think of it like um, on one axis, let's say on the y-axis, you've got uh, expectations, right? Expectations, and those can be quite high, right? Or they can be low, um, or somewhere in the middle. And then on your x-axis, you've got support, right? Um, and that can be, again, high or low. So if you think of that, okay, you've got expectations versus support. Top right quadrant is where we want to be. We want to be high expectations that are flexible, right? Based on, you know, circumstances and whatnot, but also high support. What tends to happen, what leaders often think is that the way to lead is to be in that um, top left quadrant. So like high expectations and lower support, Mm -hmm. like that more authoritarian kind of like domineering style. And if you're, I can't remember, are you a parent or not, Greg? I am. You are. Okay. So you may, yeah. So, so you may have come across this at some point This is actually uh, um, brought up a lot in parenting styles. So we talk about like authoritarian, authoritative and permissive parenting. And it's very similar. You know, you still want to have those high and high and flexible expectations, but you want to be highly supportive as well. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, you want to help there be room for failure, room for mistakes, because that is how we grow. And same thing in leadership and same thing with ourselves. Then finally, um, that bottom right one where it's like low expectations and high support, that again would be that like permissive style of parenting. And it would it would lead to, um, again, like n- not growth, stagnance, you know, um, again, sort of boredom and certainly expectations not being met. So as a leader, we want to be in that place where we're holding people accountable still and we have expectations and we're really agreeing on those, but they're realistic and they're flexible based on circumstances. And that's where we're really embodying that yang quality. And at the same time, you know, if a mistake is made, right, or if a person um, does something that like doesn't fall in line with their integrity, and they know it, right. And you know, that's where emotions like shame and guilt are really healthy and productive, right. And we want to be bringing people onto our teams, who have integrity, right, and who can kind of, you know, to a certain extent, correct their own behavior, but recognize that they're human beings. And like, we're not robots. I mean, it's, I mean, lately with like the AI news, I feel like pretty soon we're all, all, we're all our jobs have become obsolete, but, um, and, you know, maybe there won't be any errors ever being made again, but for now we're still humans. Right. And so there has to be room for imperfection. There has to be room for mistakes. And when we create a culture where there is room for that, then people are more willing to take those risks, more willing to grow, more willing to own up to the, their mistakes and failures and things like that, because they're not driven by fear. And I guess this is a very long way of saying that a lot of leaders are afraid of compassionate leadership because they think that it means that people are going to end up in that bottom right quadrant. They think that it means that it's going to lead to stagnance and whatever people, you know, are just never going to come into work anymore. They're not going to do anything. But if you're doing it right, where you still have those expectations and high support, then it actually leads to a culture of growth versus the the alternative, you know, the one that oftentimes people are in is that culture of fear where it's like that more authoritarian, you know, there's not a room for room for air, just kind of like, let's just go, let's just, you know, um, uh, we just have to like win and we have to build. And it's like, there's no specificity to that. And it actually can be quite um, uh, confusing for employees to hear something like that with there's a, when there's no sort of like specific goals. And they're like, well, what does that even mean? And then again, they're afraid of making a mistake and become paralyzed, right? So, so that was a long tangent. I'll let you jump in and ask any questions around that. And I can offer some other um, misconceptions as well. Yeah, Megan, that's, that's awesome. Um visualizing and writing down the, the two by two matrix, right? Mm-hmm. We love those, especially as a finance yeah. person. Um, 
But you mentioned that you made a comment about doing it right, right? Setting mm-hmm. expectations in the right way. Could you go into a little bit more detail of, of maybe what's the wrong way versus the right way, or just give us a little bit more meat for that? Yeah, for sure. So it's it's very um what's important about expectations. I mean, there are many things that are important about expectations, but you want them to be clear and you want them to be realistic, right? So, and you want them to be agreed upon and you want to be able to check in. Now there's sort of a fine line. You don't want to necessarily be micromanaging where like you're having check-in about expectations multiple times a day, every day with the same person. Right. But ultimately um, there is so much that gets missed in language. And we make so many assumptions that when we express an expectation, a person understands what that means when it actually could be quite vague. And one of the problems is that a lot of our employees, I mean, they're, they're power dynamics, right? So a lot of our employees, they're afraid of clarifying. And so they'll just be like, yep, sounds good. Okay. Yep. I got it or whatever. And then they're like, Ooh, what does that actually mean? What does that actually look like? So, you know, again, you want to find the balance between, you don't need to like spend hours and hours and hours on on figuring out exactly what a specific expectation looks like. And there are some places where um, it's our job as leaders to learn how to kind of be with like the uncertainty and um, the messiness of someone, you know, doing it not exactly how we might do it, right? Like, because that's part of what we have to surrender to when we hire people. Um, But, you know, if it is extremely important to us that something gets done in a specific way, then we need to really clarify what that looks like and help ensure that there are no misconceptions there. Because we can't always count on our employees to advocate for their confusion, right? Like we want them to be able to, and we want to be able to inspire that culture, but it can be helpful to be like, okay, like, you know, what, what does that look like for you? And, you know, do you have any questions about that? Can you see anything getting in the way of this actually being achieved? What would happen, you know, if, I don't know, let's say you decided, you, you realized you're super overwhelmed or, you know, you need to deprioritize something or maybe you get sick or whatever. Like, let's see what happens along the way if a person decides, oh shit, I'm actually not going to meet the deadline here or I need some more resources or this actually isn't going to work, right? So there needs to be a, an ongoing conversation And again, when you create a compassionate environment, there's room for some of those conversations, right? Which again, let me just clarify. It doesn't mean that someone's like, oh, I don't think, I don't know if I can meet this deadline anymore. It doesn't mean that like, okay, no matter what, that's fine. doesn't matter. Okay. Let's understand why, like what's getting in the way, where can, where do you need some support? Right. Because it doesn't mean that we're just, again, abandoning expectations when a person no longer believes that they can meet those expectations. But if you start out from the beginning and make sure they're really clear, which comes down to, yes, some clarifying questions. Again, like, what does it look like? Let's look at some examples. What do you need to get here? What might get in the way of that getting done, um, you know, or completed or, you know, you, you meeting this expectation? That's going to get out in front of any of these challenges where, let's say, a couple of weeks or months or whatever it is down the road, a person hasn't been able to meet that expectation. They haven't felt empowered to come forward and tell you about that. And now, you know, there's a bottleneck in some area where, you know, you're fucked for some other reason, right? So um, so that's, yeah, I guess like making sure things are really realistic and that's part of the conversation. And then of course, like making sure they're really clear and then seeing if there is any, like, is this a flexible expectation or not? And, you know, that's not always something that as a leader, you want to go at the gates with and say like, well, this is, yeah, sure. Like it's, you know, this is the, this is the deadline, but like, it's kind of flexible. Like, no, I mean, th- there's an element of accountability that we have to hold, right. As leaders. And so sometimes when we, for a lot of people, they, they really only work well with a deadline or under some form of pressure. So if they hear something as like, oh, this is kind of a flexible deadline, whatever, it's fine then just naturally they might, you know, procrastinate on it or deprioritize it. So those are sort of questions you'd have to ask yourself and maybe having conversation, you know, 
with other members of your team or with that employee that you're working with. Um, but again, I, was, I guess to summarize, making them super clear, making sure that um, they are realistic and then deciding whether or not they're flexible and like what that looks like and, and you know, when you want to impart that information if, if um, necessary. So when you're having that, that initial conversation and setting expectations, can you be too clear or, or have too much information or like when, when does it get to a point they're like, wait, just stop. Right. Right. I, I get it. Yeah. So that's when, um, I mean, I get, there's this sort of balance between when we find ourselves acting from our own anxiety and perfectionism and imparting it onto others by expecting them to do it like exactly as how we would do it. And again, they're, they're not us. Right. So if it is, you have, these are questions you'll have to ask yourself as a leader. And I would encourage you to work with a coach. If it's something that is kind of blurry or hazy is like, okay, how my, my, my intensity that I feel around this, like the anxiety that I feel in this need to um, make sure that this person does it exactly as I want them to do it, or exactly as how I would do it. Is that because, you know, the project or, or the expectation demands that. And like, sometimes that is the case, right? Like there are places where like the attention to detail is so important or the process is so important. And so if that's the case, like, okay, that makes sense. And you want to really like at times even over communicate that. And we, we can get into that in a moment. Um, but then there are going to be other places where for all of us, no matter, you know, what our background, what our gender, what our experience level, we struggle with surrendering control, right? And it's mm. very uncomfortable to be in uncertainty, especially, you know, if it's our company and like, you know, if someone else is representing that in some way. And so it can feel super uncomfortable to be like, I trust you, right? Like I trust you to do it. Maybe not exactly how I would do it, but I'm going to allow for some room for you to do it in your way that you want to do it, right? And that's, I mean, again, this is why not everybody is an entrepreneur, right? Or not everybody has a company because it's very uncomfortable. And so that's a conversation you have to have with yourself first. Be like, okay, is there some room for flexibility here? Even though it might annoy me that this person isn't doing it the way that I would do it, that's the trade-off when we can't you know, scale ourselves, right? So, okay, if I'm hiring people to get something done, Am I getting hiring them to get it done the exact same way I would do it? Or am I hiring them to get it done, right? Mm -hmm. Done well enough, you know, or good enough we can go with because that's sort of the saying, right? And so that might change from moment to moment. So that's a conversation you first have to have with yourself. It's like, okay, what are my expectations here? You know, and are those coming from a place of um, productivity and integrity? And that's just like what the, you know, what our expectation is within our company. Or is that coming from my own anxiety around like, it being done in a different way and that making me feel really uncomfortable. So that conversation first, then you loop somebody in and, you know, you have that conversation around like what seems realistic for them. Right. So when you're wondering about like over communicating or um, like if you can, I guess you're, you're curious about like if that conversation can go on for too long or too much is mm. said, help me understand that more. Yeah. That, that's where I was thinking it's um, you know, at some point, right. To the point you're making, you got to just let them, do what yeah. they got to do. And totally. I guess the out, the ultimate outcome sort of dictates the level of expectation setting sort of at the, at the beginning. Totally. And, and, you know, this is going to change based on your relationship to the individual, right? So if you have a longstanding relationship with that individual and you tr essentially trust them, right? Like you may not have to communicate quite as much or you kind of like, okay, I trust they're going to do it their way. But I'm guessing like, maybe we can work with an example. Like, are you talking about maybe somebody who you had, like they're perhaps like a newer employee or, you know, they're kind of right. still building this out, their credibility and things along those lines. Yeah. And so like, it's, it, it, there is an element of risk in that. Right. And so I guess 
what you want to decide is, um, again, depending on like the importance of the, the project or the expectation, right? Because it's also going to vary. If this is something where it's like, okay, there's a little room for messiness here, right? Like th- this is not like, you know, the make or break that, you know, this is going to like totally like put the company under or something if they fuck up. Like, okay, is there a little room here for me to let them run with this and it to be a learning opportunity if, if you know, let's say things aren't, they don't turn out exactly as I would have hoped they would, which they very rarely do turn out exactly as we would have hoped they would, right? So because the thing is you want your employees to feel like they tr- you trust them, right? Because otherwise you do start to that more like authoritarian, okay, I'm like the autocratic parent who's coming in here and I don't trust you. And that doesn't feel good for anybody on the other end, right? So, you know, things that lead to retention are things like, an element of autonomy and trust, you know, and again, that sort of compassion and um, transparency and things along those lines, right? So if you're saying, okay, like, let's definitely hash this out and let's get really clear here. Now run with it. Maybe we check in somewhere along the way and see how you're doing. And if you have any questions and stuff like that, you want to leave the lines of communication open. And sometimes maybe, you know, depending on who's reporting to whom, like it's maybe it's not your direct report or something like that. And so it's, you know, you're sort of speaking to someone else who's going to speak to that person. But um, ultimately, like you, you want to be kind of giving the message, hey, I trust you, you know, I trust you and I hired you because I think you're good at what you do. And I think you have integrity. And I think that you can actually um, govern yourself and your own behavior to a certain extent. Now we have, you know, managers here, you know, people in positions to support you. But at the end of the day, like, let's see what you got, right? Like, and I mean, again, this is where it is our responsibility when we're hiring to kind of look for this, right? Like, you know, oftentimes leaders get really frustrated because, you know, they have an employee that isn't meeting expectations. And I mean, sometimes that is because, you know, the employee, um, you know, there's something that shifted in their situation or whatever, but most of the time that's a hiring, that's a failure of hiring, right? Like you should have somewhere along the way been able to see like what was happening there that would have led to this person, you know, not being, you know, the team player or having too much ego involved or dealing with something that's preventing them from being able to move forward or meet expectations or whatever. So, um, so yeah, I, I think, um, just coming back to your question about, uh, like this sort of like over communication piece, the risk of over communicating is that you're sending the message. I don't trust you and I need to baby you and I might want to micromanage you and I'm going to impart my anxiety onto you. And then that's going to leave a person being like, oh shit, like I don't even, I'm afraid to take a risk here because I, you know, it seems like the expectations are so unrealistically high. I'm set up for failure. Thank you. That's really helpful. You know, I wanted to shift the expectation conversation away from manager, employee, or owner, employee to business and client. Does sure, the dynamic yeah. change much when, as as the vendor trying to set expectations for my customer? Yeah. So that's a more challenging one because, um, I mean, if we look at this through a lens of of ultimately like who has power in a situation, right? I mean, you could argue that assuming you don't have a monopoly on the industry, like the vendor would have other options, right? And so there is an element of like, like this is when you're like, okay, well, that idea of like the customer is always right. Like how much of that do we want to bring into this, right? Now, I would still argue that that um, expectation management and setting is like the most important thing for person satisfaction, right? Like if you think about it, with most things in life as individuals, but also like in relationship of any sort, Mm -hmm. any type of like frustration or disappointment or anxiety or shame, anger, all of that 
lives in the gap between the expectation and the reality, right? Like it's like, okay, expectations are here. You land it here. Great. Right. Like none of that stuff exists. You don't feel disappointment. You don't feel anxiety leading up to it. You don't feel frustration, anger, any of that kind of stuff. Right. But, or guilt is another one as well, but um, especially in our relationship to ourselves. But in, if you have like expectations here, and reality down here, that's where all this stuff lives. So what do we do here? The two things we want to do, we want to either lower expectations to make them more realistic. And maybe I shouldn't use the word lower because that can be triggering for people, but like, you know, create realistic expectations so they are achievable and then ensure that, you know, the behavior, you know, meets those expectations. And the closer you get to that, the less people are going to be upset. So that's why it is so important to get out in front of it and not be, um, you know, creating these completely unrealistic expectations that maybe will get a client in the door. Like, and this is one of the problems with marketing, right? Like you get a lot of people who are like this, we're going to sell this to you. And this is what's going to happen. Da, 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 da. And all these claims that um, are impossible, right? Like it's interesting. Cause even as for me in, in the coaching world, I mean, I see so many coaches out there who are like, I guarantee, you know, you're going to double your income or you're going to this, or you're going to be happy forever. Or like, you'll get into your perfect relationship. And it's like, we can't promise that. Like, you know, like the, you, you can't, I mean, you know, it, it might, and it might get some people in the door, but at the end of the day, there are a lot of very unhappy clients, you know, now it, there, again, there's a balance where you can say, Hey, this is sort of what's possible and you can change your language. And so mm. you can still set a high expectation, but you want to be really um, attuned to what language you're using. Right. And talking about, okay, well, based on if this, 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 and this all happen, then yes, the expectation is that, you know, we can provide X, Y, and Z for you. I mean, like the pandemic is a great example, right? Like how many expectations were not met because of something that was completely out of our control. And I think collectively we had a little bit more compassion and understanding, right? As consumers for why our expectations weren't met in certain areas or, or um, you know, as entrepreneurs or owners. But at the end of the day, like we can't tell the future, right? So we can only base our decisions or our projections based on like the information that we have at the time. And so if you want to get out in front of, again, disappointment from clients or vendors or whatever, disappointment, frustration, any of these sorts of things, you want to be really clear on what those expectations are. And you want to be able to iterate on them if possible, right? Like, is that something where if you're starting to notice, oh, shit, like, actually, you know, I'm not going to be able to like, you know, get them paid by this period of time or put this order in or do this or that, like, let them know, right? Like, and oftentimes people are very um, understanding of that. You know, it's interesting. I actually just had on, I have a a very um, sporadic podcast, but um, my podcast, The Failure Factor, I interview a lot of entrepreneurs about like challenges and failures they've had and what they learned. And it's salient for me because I just had a, um, uh, her name's Tara Simich and she's the serial entrepreneur, but founder of this uh, like kind of beauty company hair tool situation. And she was talking about how during the pandemic, I mean, obviously, like supply, shipping, all of that was an absolute nightmare, right? And so there were, you know, not again, like vendors were super pissed off. You know, she had so many customers that were like, this is a scam. Like I haven't gotten my product yet. Um, you know, the stores on retail or whatever was just like, like you haven't supplied us, you know, we have this contract. And she's like, I got on the phone and I just called everyone. And I was mm. like, this is the situation. You know, I am not like... I I am, this is our business. I'm, you know, here I am like in Australia, like I'm not some like massive corporation here. This is what we're doing. We're dealing with like, okay, you know, our regular shipping, we're gonna have to airship things that, you know, now $8 a unit or whatever, in comparison to the $1.25 it was previously, like we're trying to figure this out, but it's really hard. And we're, we're really sorry, but like, we need to kind of like be in conversation here and see what's possible. And she said, you know, like, 
nine times out of 10. And granted, this could be partially because again, she's like, you know, a white woman with a lot of privilege and like, you know, very kind and, and, you know, people are more willing oftentimes to be forgiving to women and in situations. So there might be other situations where, you know, if you were to call and make the same phone call, you might experience a lot more um, aggression perhaps, or less forgiveness, but you know, people generally tend to understand they're like, okay, like, let's figure this out. How can we make this right? Right. And, you know, there might be something you have to do uh, with the client to make it right. But at the end of the day, like communicating on those expectations and realigning them is what's going to prevent a person from having the emotional reaction. Again, frustration, disappointment, anger, again, I mean, guilt and shame, not so much in that situation for the vendor or the client, but, you know, anxiety, um, and anything that's going to cause them to react in a way that could, could potentially, you know, harm the relationship or the business. So getting in there in front of that and being like, let's make sure that we're aligned here. How can we make this right? I care about you. I care about this relationship. This isn't necessarily within my integrity here. So I want to make this right. Whatever's just happened. That's what's going to um, prevent any of those like ruptures that might lead to, you know, something that impacts the brand or the relationship. Certainly. Um, what comes to mind in, in my situations in the, over my past is if I don't have that communication, that conversation, then they create reality in their head. Totally. Right? Totally. And, and so that's just this terrible circle and it just gets worse and worse and worse the longer time goes by. Oh my gosh, totally. We all have stories that we tell ourselves, right? Like we create in uncertainty or in ambiguity, we create a story around something. And we do this with everything. Like obviously not just in business. We certainly do this so much in, in, you know, relationship or in our personal lives as well. And the other thing is that based on our trauma, we all have um like these biases about like human nature, right? And so some of us are more distrusting than others. And, or some of us, you know, we might have a story that's like, uh, or the, the core wound, we would call it where it's like, okay, well, I can't trust anyone because everyone is going to betray me or everyone's out to get me or everyone leaves me or everyone fucks me over or whatever it is, or, or I'm not worthy. I'm not enough. You know, I'm too much and all this sort of stuff. So what people tend to do is they will filter any information that they experience through that bias. And they're constantly looking to confirm the bias. So if someone has a bias that like, I don't know men can't be trusted, you know, or like the, whatever, you know, um, in an industry, like, I don't know, venture capital or whatever, or this, but the principles are all sleeve bags or something. It's like, you know, they're, they're always going to be looking for some kind of like, oh, okay, well, I knew this about these people. So see, here they are doing this again. And I can't trust this person. And again, coming back to this idea of trust, like trust is so important for, it's the most important thing for any relationship, right. Personally or professionally. So, um, so yeah, not uh, giving context is allows for a person to create stories. And and I will say too, Greg, I mean, look, like that's not all on us. Like that's again, where we would hope a person's doing their own work and starting to recognize because that's going to get in the way of their success as well, right? Like for people who are constantly quick to think, oh, you know, everyone's out to get me or they have that more kind of paranoid mentality or distrusting mentality, that's that doesn't necessarily serve them well either. So hopefully they're kind of working on that and it's a bit of a dual process, but we can help with that by being over-communicative and by helping ensure that like the context is provided so they don't create those stories. It's interesting as you talk through that, all these biases that I have keep coming up. It's like, I'm I got sure. to put those away. Totally. Um, it's very shifting, human, by the way. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Shifting gears a little bit. Talk yeah. to us about you and, and the work that you're doing and how you got to what you're, the, the 
coaching and being an author and like, ah. tell us your story a little bit and then who you like to work with. Um, somebody wants to reach out to you, like give us some background on, on sure. your clientele. Absolutely. Um, I mean, gosh, it's such a long story, so I won't, I won't uh, give you all the details, but I guess like the Cliff's Notes version is um, I'm trained as a psychotherapist. So I'm, I'm originally from British Columbia. So I do coaching mostly in the States um, through, I, I call it sometimes therapy directed coaching, just because of like all these like licensure issues and whatnot, which by the way, it's kind of a shit show right now. I don't even know what's like legal anymore at this point, but like, but yes, I mostly do coaching, even though I am trained as a therapist. Um, I came to New York um, after my own kind of uh, journey through perfectionism and realizing that I didn't have enough self-compassion. And um, as a result, I was in that sort of like stagnancy quadrant where I was just being super hard on myself with high expectations, but wasn't taking the risks that I wanted to, to grow. And so um, my story personally is that I struggled with eating disorders, depression, anxiety, all sorts of things for many, many years. Of course, you know, that's most, most therapists become therapists because we want to figure ourselves out. So I was like, oh, I know what I'll do. I'll go do a master's in psychology and that'll, that'll get it sorted. And that's not what got it sorted. Ultimately, you know, then I had to go on kind of my own spiritual journey, whatever you want to call it. And, you know, I got really into yoga and Buddhism and spirituality. And so, um, started really combining the two sort of practicing from a psycho-spiritual approach and was working in Vancouver at the time, um, uh, in colleges actually with a really high performing population and just began to realize like, we're all just struggling with the same shit, right? Like we all just are super hard on ourselves. You know, we um, put our self-worth in our like achievements and, you know, appearance and outcomes and things like that. And so, um, and, and as a result, we're, we're experiencing depression and anxiety, and we're not taking the risks that we want to take to be able to grow and experience the lives that we really want to experience. And so um, I had been to New York uh, a few years earlier and I just been like, I just, I don't know why, but I just need to be here. Like, this is my place. And uh had sort of always been a pipe dream, but I ended up having an opportunity. I, I started writing around then and I was blogging on this stuff. And I had an opportunity um, where a startup sponsored my visa to work and do some like, you know, psychological consulting, I guess, for them. It was, it's, I mean, yeah, I think they wanted to sleep with me, honestly, but, um, but, but, you know, um, so, but anyway, so I was like, whatever, I'll take it, sponsor my visa. And so um, I came here and I was just like, an absolute shock about the startup world. Like I got really immersed in that world and had no idea. I mean, again, being Vancouver, Canada, there's not a huge startup scene there. And I just like had no idea um, what people were dealing with from like a culture perspective, you know, as employees and as leaders and how many people um, are kind of thrown into a position of leadership with no experience or knowledge whatsoever on how to be a leader, right? So I became very interested in in that piece and started doing working with entrepreneurs for the most part, actually. So I left that. I was only there. I was there less than a year, actually. I was like, this is a total shit show, but it was fascinating um, and a great case study. Um, and, you know, sort of as people often say, like, I feel like you're at a startup while you get an MBA. And so, um, so yeah, I left there and I started working primarily with entrepreneurs. So I would say I do sort of a mix of like therapy and coaching with entrepreneurs um, and really just help them gain like the awareness that they need and the tools to um, not be held back by their perfectionism, by their avoidance of their own emotional discomfort and um, help them communicate, you know, in ways that are more productive, um, again, with, you know, their team, but also with themselves. Um, you know, one of the other misconceptions we didn't have time for today that I'll just touch on lightly is that people really believe that like by paying attention to their emotions, it's going to like make them more emotional. And especially men, when you've been socialized in a world that tells you like, you know, if you cry, you're weak or you're a pussy or whatever, or you shouldn't have feelings and, you know, 
you're supposed to always just be either like totally stoic and it doesn't, I also think all the stoicism stuff with entrepreneurship doesn't help. Like all this kind of like, just mm. be super stoic, don't have emotions. Um, not that that's, that's the, I, sh- I should be careful what I would say about stoicism. There's a lot of great stuff with stoicism, but it doesn't often encourage people to go into their emotions and recognize like what those emotions are telling them and learn how to cope with them in a healthy way. It's a very cognitive um, philosophy. And so for a lot of men, they're quite comfortable being like, oh, I'll just rationalize my way out of this. And the problem is when we're not aware of what the emotions are that we're experiencing, which we all have and we all experience because it's evolutionary and they're what keep us alive, we tend to react to them. So what a lot of of, um, people in general, but particularly men and particularly men in like leadership roles where they feel like they have to kind of always like be together and like be stoic and whatnot, they try to avoid those emotions because they think that avoiding them is the way to um, prevent themselves from being reactive. And that just doesn't work. And actually, there's a Rumi quote, the cure for pain is in the pain, that really the way to diffuse a difficult emotion is to go toward it. And that's where um, I teach my clients something called mindfulness, which is pretty, I mean, most people know that term at this point, but mindfulness is really creating this space between the emotion you experience and the reaction to the emotion. So it can change to a response, not a reaction, something very intentional. And we create that space when we just notice that emotion non-judgmentally in the moment and intentionally choose how to respond. So for example, I used the um, uh, the emotion of anxiety earlier and how for a lot of times as leaders, we're acting from a place of anxiety and we're trying to like micromanage or control. Trying to control is a very normal, common response to feeling anxious, right? Because anxiety comes with uncertainty and certainty helps us mitigate that. And so controlling or the perception of control makes us think that we're going to um, experience less anxiety. And sometimes sometimes it works, and but most of the time it creates more problems. And so, or more anxiety for that matter, because we don't learn how to be with uncertainty. So if we were going to apply mindfulness to that situation, as a leader, when you realize when you're speaking with, let's say, like, you know, your employee or team member, or, you know, even it is, it is the vendor, you know, as you were saying, um, or a client, if we notice that our anxiety is coming into the room and making us want to, like, maybe speak too much or, um, you know, control or be micromanage or any of these sorts of things that doesn't facilitate growth, that doesn't facilitate like a a good culture or good relationship for that matter. um, Then we can notice that anxiety and be like, "Mm, this is interesting. Okay. I'm feeling anxious and anxiety wants me to jump in and like, you know, Mm -hmm. set these expectations or be reactive in this way. But I'm going to say I can be with that discomfort. And this is something, of course, I teach clients as well as how to cope with that discomfort, how to regulate our nervous systems in those moments and let me respond in a healthier and more productive way based on like what I know. Right. And so that's, again, where like learning, learning and understanding what our emotions are telling us, like guilt, if it's there in a productive and healthy way is saying, hey, you didn't act within your integrity. You know, you did something that might have like ruptured a relationship. And we, if we avoid that guilt, we never repair the relationship. We never say, hey, I'm really sorry. I fucked up there. That was not within my integrity. You know, let me get in here and, and repair this relationship, this, you know, um, you know, again, whatever, whether it's, you know, it's a member of your team, or maybe it's your partner or something, you know, or your, your, uh, whether personal or professional. So like, There are times, though, when guilt comes in and it's not coming from a productive place. That's when it's coming from those like unrealistic expectations, perfectionism, trauma, all of that. So when we can go in there and be like, oh, I'm feeling guilt. What's happening here? Is this coming from truth or coming from trauma? Is this coming from me being like, oh, yeah, I definitely didn't meet the expectations I had for myself and I want to apologize or I want to make this right in some way? Great. If this is coming from like, oh, no, I just believe that 
you know, even based in all of these like circumstantial challenges that I'm dealing with, I have to meet the expectation I set for myself, you know, five years ago or whatever, no matter what, um, then like, that's maybe a place where you want to change expectations and, and mitigate that guilt. Anger tells us usually that someone's crossed our boundaries or there's an injustice that's occurred or we're being mistreated. Um, you know, as I said, anxiety, it's usually a threat or a signal that like we need to do something. It's there to motivate some sort of behavior or create some sort of certainty. I mean, loneliness tells us to connect. Every emotion is there to give us some kind of insight, right? So um, this is a very long way of saying that one of the things that I do with clients is help them actually become more emotionally intelligent and recognize the value in that and how it's going to make them a better leader, a better person, a better partner, and and also just happier, right? Because one of the ways we react to our emotions is through numbing behaviors because they're uncomfortable. So any type of addiction you might struggle with, you know, or any type of like vice that we want to change our relationship to oftentimes is coming from just a place of wanting to quell difficult emotions. So I teach people to recognize those emotions, become more comfortable with them, set healthier expectations, and just be able to have like really actually have more control over their emotions through um, going toward them versus avoiding them. You know, Megan, it's, it was very helpful. Um, so talk to us a little bit more about uh, how an audience member can get in touch with you. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. You can just reach out um, by email. My email is just Megan at MeganBruno.com. So M-E-G-A-N at M-E-G-A-N-B-R-U-N-E-A-U.com. It's French. Um, I imagine you'll probably have it in the show notes or whatever. Um, As far as like social media, I mean, I'm kind of like, I'm like on, I'd say I'm on Instagram sporadically. I'm a big like practice what I preach person. So um, I think there's a lot of good with social media. I think it's like done really wonderful things in some ways for the world, but I think there's also like a lot, a lot of not good. (laughs) So I don't spend too much time on it, but I do put content out there and you can reach out to me there as well. My uh, Instagram is just Megan J. Bruno, M-E-G-A-N-J-B-R-U-N-E-A-U. Um, yeah, my podcast, if you want to listen to some episodes, it's called The Failure Factor. It's on Spotify and uh, yeah, Apple Podcasts, really anywhere I think podcasts are. So so yeah, please reach out if you want to work with me. Um, yeah, I do one-on-one coaching. Um, I also have therapists on my team who also do, you know, coaching and, and therapy as well. Um, yeah, I have a I have a, a book, Half the Proceeds Go to um, a, a, an organization called Active Minds. It's uh, Prevent Suicide in Teens. Um, and it's called how to be alone and together 72 lessons on being at peace with yourself. A lot of the stuff that I put out there is more sort of like the, th- like you might not see as many, like the leadership themes that we discussed today, but really like it's, it translates, right? Like the way that we, the relationship that we have with others is so dependent on our relationship with ourselves. And we notice that like when we're feeling generous and kind and easeful, it's oftentimes because we feel that way within ourselves. And so I think for most leaders, yes, like all of this stuff is so important, but what's the most important thing is that you work on your own mental health and your own relationship to yourself. And that's going to give you far more bandwidth to be able to deal with like the discomfort that comes along with being a human, but also being a leader. So, so yeah, feel free to reach out if you want to work with me or someone on my team, or just want to get in touch for whatever reason. Um, and yeah, it's just been such a, a great opportunity speaking with you today, Greg. Thank you so much. It's, it's a pleasure. And, and the point that I was trying to make before I got into uh, how do you get in touch with you was going to be around. And you just brought it up again around that self-reflection and and really like making, taking the time, making the time to sit yeah. there and say, what emotions have I been feeling over the last week? Totally. And what was the situation versus dealing with it in the moment, right? Like once you're angry, you're angry. But totally. Two days yeah. later, you should say, well, on Thursday at two o'clock, I was feeling angry. So let's reflect on what I was going through and how, 
I should better respond. Exactly. And that's a place where it's so important to bring that self-compassion in where there's room for you to have uncomfortable emotions or, you know, I don't know, have a reaction and you give yourself room for that because what actually, you know, the term narcissism, which is used a lot actually in leadership, because there are a lot of narcissistic leaders and people who have narcissistic defenses that's rooted in shame. So that's not like, oh, I had a narcissistic response. Oh my God, I'm a narcissist. This is so like, I'm a terrible person. Like, no, it's just a response to shame. And so when we have a lot of shame and we believe that like we are bad versus like we did something bad, we're going to be more likely to have a response where we're not willing to look in the mirror. So in order to look in the mirror and be able to actually reflect, like you were describing, sit down and maybe journal or, you know, sort of go for a walk and think about it, or even like meditation for that matter, where you're just kind of noticing some of the thoughts and feelings that come up, depending on what type of meditation you're doing. We have to leave room for like messiness and imperfection. And in a culture where we have taught, especially men, that you're not supposed to feel anything other than like the occasional anger if someone's wronged you, right? But otherwise you're totally calm and collected all the time and stoic then you start to feel shame when you have a difficult emotion. So when you reflect back and you're like, oh, I was actually feeling really like lonely or insecure or rejected, or I felt anxious or I felt exposed or whatever it was, you're not going to be able to admit that and look in the mirror and take responsibility for it if you don't have room in your expectations on yourself for there to be like messiness, right? Of the mm. human condition. And that's why I think it's so wonderful when, again, people in your position or, or especially male leaders are talking about, feelings, you know, and be like, yeah, I was really depressed, you know, um, oh my gosh, I can't even remember what's Andy, what's his last name, who just wrote Burn Rate, the founder of Bonobos, I can't remember, it's Cohen, I think, Andy Cohen. Anyway, he wrote this whole book on, you know, being bipolar and whatnot and his struggles with it. And I think it's so important that there's that representation out there because we're all human, we all have our shit and there has to be room for us to have these difficult experiences, whether as a result of something that happens in the moment or because we all have our trauma that we bring into our everyday life. And in fact, a lot of people who find themselves in positions of, you know, leadership or who are decide to be entrepreneurs, it's because like, it's com- the same root that causes their like creativity and their like autonomy and, you know, their, their drive for sort of like uncertainty or whatever it is, they're kind of like both comfort and discomfort with that comes from the same root of trauma that causes again, the depression or the anxiety or the addiction or the insecurity. And so like, it's actually a much more vulnerable population entrepreneurs, you know, than the average mm. population when it comes to mental health. So again, long way of saying, yes, set that time aside for reflection, whether it's with the therapist or with yourself or whatever, but make sure that in that time, you give yourself permission to like feel uncomfortable or to have made a mistake. And you recognize that doesn't make you a bad person. In fact, the fact that you have those feelings probably is what makes you a good person, right? Like it means that you weren't acting within your integrity and you want to be better. And that's kind of all we can do here is just try to be better. And we're never going to be perfect. Like it's just, that's an illusion. That's what, what sells a lot of things that are in the industries that we work in actually. So that's a conversation for another time. <laughs> that, that was very well said. And Megan, please continue to do the work you're doing. I, I you. interact with hundreds of entrepreneurs and there are a, a lot of trauma, a lot of burnout, a lot of yeah. issues that's it's really holding us back as a community to having broader impact. And so thank you personally for doing the work that you do. Um, thank you so and much. And thanks us- for saying that. And I'm glad. And I mean, you know, I know we connected through EO and I think EO is like such a beautiful organization that is doing this work, right? Like creating spaces for people to talk about these hard things that we all struggle with and uniting us in it. Right. And 
that allows for more taking responsibility and more compassion and more capacity, you know, to do good and to, to help and to be less reactive. So yeah, the whole ecosystem supports each other. So thank you again for, for saying that and for the work that you're doing these podcasts and, and everything that you do otherwise. It's, it's a pleasure. Awesome. <laughs> oh, thanks Great. again, Megan. And that's a wrap, my friends. Thank you for spending your time with me. For show notes and other episodes, visit us at impactfulleadershipshow.com. One last food for thought. Walk on with hope in your heart and you'll never walk alone.